Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined right now by Melissa Tamlin, Vice President, Information Technology at Plan International Canada. Melissa, thanks so much for taking the time. No problem. I'm happy to be here. Um, I asked for a little bit of your time here at Salesforce. We're at the Dreamforce Conference in San Francisco, so there's a little ambient noise in the background that we don't normally hear, but there are thousands of people here to talk about all kinds of important tools, missions, ideas. But before we dive into some of those specifics, could you just tell a little bit about um, what is Plan International, what is Plan International Canada? Sure. So Plan International Canada is one of about 20 national offices that are part of a federated structure. Each office is individually incorporated and focused on raising funds to support uh, capacity building in uh, a number of countries in um, uh, the developing uh, world. And uh, we work in about uh, 70 countries across the world. And those countries report up through our uh, headquarters. And that headquarters is in England. And we work to uh, provide funds to the office in order to support the work that goes on in those countries as well. We contribute to that work ourselves through some of the programmatic activity that we do. So we're a federated model. Uh, We're one of the largest national offices within the federation, second uh, only to Germany, in fact. And uh, our work is both related to uh, providing sponsorship to children, uh, as well as community development, uh, although the bulk of our uh, our work lies in the delivery of grants and programs uh, largely related to supporting capacity building in the areas of education for girls, uh, economic development for women, uh, gender equality, and uh, children's rights. So does Plan International Canada work with any specific developing areas as this, or does each one of the members of the Federation work across several different um, partner countries? Um, I would say we each uh, we we work all in the same domains. I okay. think that uh, as it relates to gender trans- transformative or gender equality work, Canada does the bulk of that type of work. So it's true that there is some uh, variation in terms of what each of the national offices focus on. Uh, Plan is also Plan Canada is also unique in the work it does in the programmatic grants area. Some of the offices do far less of that work than we do. Okay. So that's a a big mission and a lot of partners doing it. So um, being vice president of the information technology side of things Mm -hmm. has got to keep you very, very busy. Um, I I heard a little bit about um, uh, using one of the tools that we're talking about at this conference today, um, Salesforce Communities. Mm -hmm. So um, Salesforce as a large back-end infrastructure to so many things is a little overwhelming. And I think this layer of um, how it sorts of tries to encourage its community thing is really interesting. So could you just introduce the idea of how you understand, first of all, communities in in terms of the Salesforce tool? Um, And then I want to ask you some questions about how you implement it in your work. But how do how do you describe Salesforce communities to somebody that's in your team? I think we will we describe it as a, a way to bring together a group of disparate, disparate um, 
often geographically disparate groups uh, around a particular mission or cause to share with them different information, allow them to engage and have access to each other and to information that that we uh, all share with each other in a way that uh, supports um, our overall goal and in in a way that allows us to have a degree of consistency, uh, security, and um, um, measurement around the uh, uh, the way that the community functions and ensures that the group um, has the maximum impact that it can have on um, on its goal, which in our case is advancing our mission. But when we're talking about communities in this particular case, we're not talking about the um, direct recipients of service in a developing community, or are we talking about them as well? But we're also talking about building a sense of community within and amongst people that support the mission work. That's right, yeah. So we're focused on building communities here in Canada, or there in Canada, (laughs) Um, and enabling those communities to be able to learn about our mission and share more broadly within Canada and in turn uh, generate more awareness and support for the work that we do outside of Canada and in the, um, the countries that we serve. So we're at Dreamforce talking about this, and uh, Mark Benioff had a, a keynote yesterday where uh, he once again hit this fourth information or the fourth industrial revolution theme that Salesforce often talks about, where um, the fourth revolution is really about connectedness, about b- bridging connections between people. Information existing in big databases somewhere without really meaningful connections between the people is useful, but not the same as what you're talking about implementing here where we maybe thought about that first information revolution of we can now broadcast to the whole planet using the World Wide Web. Isn't that fantastic? We, charity that knows a lot of things, can share information very easily and cheaply. But that was sort of this uh, maybe unidirectional and sometimes bidirectional, but not necessarily the between communities function that I think is evolving in this connectedness space. Mm-hmm. So that's a highly substantially step forward level of complexity in um, what it means to manage relationships. Uh, When did Plan International Canada or other partners in your network, maybe also in the Federation, did they step in and say, we're ready to take on that level of change in order to get that extra benefit? Um, I think the notion of community uh, has uh, is in play at a number of different levels. Mm-hmm. There's the the plan uh, community uh, as a whole. There's the plan office community, and we use various tools to support that um, through um, uh, Microsoft Teams and, and other tools. But I think that the idea of um, building community within our um, uh, constituency is a relatively new concept right. um, that is um, one new for us in terms of the process as well as the tools that enable it. And the idea of actually being able to identify and cultivate a community is something I think that will uh, advance as we become more sophisticated in understanding our donor base and understanding what connects individuals around um, our mission and what it is they're interested in learning about, not just independent 
from us, but amongst each other and within um, and across uh, a particular group of donors. Um, as it relates to our first foray into both Salesforce and communities, we chose to uh, focus on our youth community, okay. which is a key component of um, uh, obviously the work that we do is all about uh, youth and women, um, but um, we have a large community of youth within Canada that we're looking to engage in our mission. We have a number of ways that we do that. The signature engagement forum is called the Speakers Bureau, mm -hmm. and it is youth ages 14 to 24 who are interested in learning more about our mission and in sharing that more broadly. Historically, we have engaged these youth in a very manual, um, fragmented way, um, using a lot of paper and um, uh, both to um, uh, recruit them, to uh, engage them and to share information uh, with them. We've used Facebook, Eventbrite, Google Hangouts, um, a, <laughs> whole a lot, lot whole lot of tools and um, haven't really been able to create a single um, community from those uh, mechanisms. And with Salesforce Communities, we really found a tool that enabled us to do all the things we needed to do from an administrative perspective, but also uh, a tool that allowed us to um, provide a safe go-to place for youth, particularly now as some of the tools that we were using previously have gone somewhat out of vogue. Um, I think a lot of youth today are leery of Facebook right. and leery of a lot of these other social uh, forums um, because of um, what their experiences have been in terms of bullying or even some of the security breaches. So sure. um, the fact that we now have an online community that's unique and focused on their needs as it relates to uh, the Speakers Bureau is something that really um, uh, makes them feel safe and the functionality is such that it really gives them the information that they need um, to do the work that uh, that they do, which is is to come and learn about PLAN and then in turn to gain um, the confidence and public speaking skills to go out and take the material that we have built for them to go and share the message at their schools, at their churches, and their communities and further um, extend the message uh, beyond us to them. And so they're not only a community within themselves, but they're leveraging the knowledge that they get from being a community out into their community. And they're tracking and measuring that activity as well and sharing that back into the tool and into the forum. So um, how long have you been using communities in this process? You mentioned you've tried several other ways of doing this. How long has communities been part of the plan? So we launched the portal in 2017 oh, and then okay. enhanced it. Um, uh, most recently put in some, some better um, uh, functionality and some uh, gamification into oh, the cool. process. We learned that youth are quite competitive and they <laughs> like to set goals and they like to reach goals and they like to sort of compete against each other. So um, that uh, enhancement has really driven uh, youth to the site. We've gone from uh, participation of sort of in the hundreds to close to 500 participating. We've got all of our consent uh, forms uh, 
uh, signed and online through DocuSign. Oh, nice. Um, and, and I assume um, this is parental consent you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, in the case of, each of youth who are under the eight, you're under 18, gotcha. um, because we cross 14 to 24, mm-hmm. it's, the consent uh, is slightly different. Um, and, um, and then we've got... Um, uh, the ability for them to download material, for them to share experiences amongst themselves, and then in turn for them to record the different events that they host and the number of individuals at those events. And when they hit a certain threshold, there's sort of a, uh, opportunities that open up for them um, in the organization. So uh, as an example, uh, Canada was, um, uh, Plan Canada hosted Michelle Obama. It was her first Canadian appearance, actually, mm-hmm. um, uh, not as First Lady, mm-hmm. um, last year. And we used the Salesforce tool as a way to register youth to uh, participate in the event because we wanted to ensure that youth were actually attending the event as well as um, others who could buy tickets. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we asked these youth if they were interested in participating in the Speakers Bureau. And from there, we were able to identify of the 6,000 youth that uh, registered, 1,800 said they were interested, and we've been able to convert 31% of them to the Speakers Bureau. And there are now active uh, participants. And um, uh, so we used that um, that tool for that purpose, but we picked uh, a youth from our speakers bureau to actually meet and speak with Michelle Obama at that day. And that youth came from our speakers bureau and it was one of our frequent flyers who (laughs) had hit a certain number of um, public speaking engagements. And so the fact that she was able to join Michelle Obama on stage and represent Plan's youth face was as a result of her you know, uh, participating and, and, and really knocking it out of the ballpark in terms of uh, the activities that she uh, um, that she uh, participated in. So uh, you, uh, buried in what you just said there, I, I want to surface for a second about the evaluation because you just happen to know it was the 31% conversion rate of these. You know, this is that sort of unicorn in the nonprofit sector of really understanding the impact of using the tool. And sometimes we get relatively um, innocuous numbers of, you know, so many visitors to a site, so many um, folks checked in that day, whatever. But but that conversion metric that you just mentioned is that thing of, wow, you, you know that. Mm-hmm. You, you have that information now. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to ask a little bit more about how the tool works, but I want to just take this moment of thinking about that evaluation thing of you really know how people are progressing through this tool to be engaged at certain levels, to have tripped over that threshold of here's what that means to us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to be pretty exciting for everybody to start seeing after a year or something of using the tool. Absolutely. I mean, and it's really, this is the first time we have used Salesforce, so we don't use it for anything else, and we don't use uh, a platform today that enables us to have that kind of visibility. Um, And certainly, everyone is incredibly excited about it. Um, The ability to easily, and I'll use that word because it's not as though we can't generate visions of activity Mm -hmm. or data today. It's just incredibly onerous (laughs) and not necessarily reliable, whereas with the Salesforce tool, it really makes it easy for us to access that data and to be able to... um, uh, you know, um, have those metrics at our fingertips. 
I want to ask you a little bit about um, communities as a layer of Salesforce. Um, is that something that you uh, have to make an extra investment in in order to utilize, or is it something that comes with the nonprofit pack? Or how do you, how do you look at the costs of using the tool? Clearly, you already understand some of the benefits, but you know there's got to be um, some understanding of what do we have to put into turning this thing on. Yeah, I think um, for us, this was really an opportunity to do a bit of a proof of concept around a technology that we're considering more broadly for, oh, the, okay. for the organization. And so the idea that uh, there could possibly be a tool, a vendor, um, and partners that were different than what we experienced and have uh, possibly a better experience was something that we were testing using um, our youth contingent um, and the Speakers Bureau um project. So I would say that we have learned a lot both about uh, Salesforce in general through our engagement with Salesforce through this particular uh, piece of work as well as the partner community um, both through this work as well as through attendance at events like this mm -hmm. and, uh, and other meetings that have been um, uh, held subsequent to events like this um, that have really educated us on some of the potential um, within the Salesforce um, uh, tool set around how we can start to possibly consider it as a, um, a set of products that will enable us uh, going forward as we move to become more of a digital enterprise. Um, so is there a, um, an extra cost, though, for that per seat, or is that um, built think, into the per seat cost of using Salesforce as a total package? I think we have to, as we, so in the case of this youth, um, uh, youth, youth piece, what we saved versus what we spent mm -hmm. um, really was, it, it was more of an investment project. We certainly had savings from an efficiency perspective. I sure. mean, we had one person whose full-time job it was running around trying to get consent forms trying to measure activities, <laughs> trying to figure out who was coming to this event and who had they emailed this, this document to. And uh, But, you know, the one FTE versus the investment that we made were not equivalent. Right. However, the investment that we made in learning about the tool and learning about the process is definitely got a larger return for us in terms of um, allowing us to have a uh, uh, line of sight into what potentially the actual return on investment would be for us as an organization to look at this as a potential tool set to enable us much more broadly in terms of how we manage our donors, how we um, perform our um, uh, outreach to donors, how we engage our donors and provide them with an mm -hmm. experience that is much more customized and much more engaging than it is today um, and how we offer uh, a variety of other um, assets uh, and um, benefits to our uh, potential and existing donor base through a new tool set and that um, definitely has a, um, a, a significant uh, uh, upside in terms of the benefits um, uh, related to key metrics for us around uh, donor acquisition, mm -hmm. donor retention, um, and uh, donor discontinuation, as well as donor experience scores. Things that really matter to us, I think we can look to uh, significantly enhance those numbers uh, by looking at uh, uh, 
uh, new tools and um, uh, and better targeted content and support for those. Well, I, I really appreciate you talking about how you're stepping into this with the youth project first um, and, and understanding it well and all the rest of it because, uh, you know, being here at Salesforce and talk of Dreamforce in particular and looking at, um, well, you know, there's um, the, uh, the nonprofit cloud sort of tools. There's the marketing cloud stuff. There's, you know, this community stuff. It all can seem a little overwhelming. You don't want to just turn on everything simultaneously. Right. Um, but in your role in particular, you know, with Vice President of Information Technology, you're supporting other systems right now that do these things. And uh, I, I think that it's a unique perspective of somebody in the organization that sort of touches that program delivery and donors and communications and internal HR type of things and all that stuff. Uh, so as you look at, you know, this the success of this test towards those metrics of knowing the conversion rate of youth that are participating and all that, um, do you think to yourself, well, I want to try and tackle this element next, or do you think maybe a broader rollout of several things that might retire previous systems or convert previous systems? Or how do you begin to learn and move forward from what you've learned so far? Well, definitely as we move to become a more digital organization, meaning that we are really looking at um, new uh, new ways of doing business and technology as an enabler of that. We are um, convinced that there are certain products that we have today that we need to replace in order to achieve um, the goals that we have to be a leader in in our sector and even a leader in terms of digital engagement. And, and, and we have such a very powerful um, product, so to speak, in terms of the work that we do. And we can really quantify uniquely at plan today, not not through the work that we're doing in the national office, but the work that we do in the field. Mm -hmm. We can quantify the impact that we are having on the lives of uh, girls and children today. And that is such a powerful um, set of um, data that if we can properly incorporate that into the work that we do in our national office um, and better deploy that as it relates to our um, recruitment um, uh, fundraising and donor engagement activities, I think that's a really powerful combination. Right. I mean, we're not a, a loblaws looking to go digital where we're really stretching to find that, you know, that meaning in the loaf of bread. <laughs> we have the meaning in the work that we do. We just need to find a way to be able to engage and support our donors so that they are feeling really good about the investment that they're making in and, and the impact that their dollars are having on the communities that we serve. And uh, I think that when we can tie those pieces together using technology and start to be able to measure and target our efforts better in terms of um, having more sophisticated tools and more sophisticated um, data-driven insights, we are um, really going to be in a position to uh, hopefully have a really big impact on the lives of, of, of um, children and uh, women um, uh, across the world, which is 
amazing. Right. And I think part of that opportunity to use the tools differently, you know, um, as to which of these do you go with next or how do you decide which legacy systems to retire first? And I mean, there's so many factors that go into that. Part of it is staff resistance. Certainly I would, um, in my experience anyway, Mm -hmm. that uh, um, there are some people that are uh, very committed to the mission of what you're doing that do not want to spend time learning another tool. And they're like, I already know how the broken one works. Can Mm -hmm. we just stick with the broken one? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond those sorts of things that, that any larger enterprise has to work with, I think the opportunity for peer support to come into this conversation instead of this sort of, you know, we institution talk to you supporter, but for those supporters to talk within themselves, That's within right. community, right. really builds a level of uh, engagement when, and support of that particular mission above and beyond where others are that it just seemed hard to do in the past. So you, you talked about mm-hmm. tools like Facebook as one place to do that. Um, but that algorithm, of course, is burying these sorts of institutional pieces. And, and it wasn't easy before, but no. it's just getting a lot harder in spaces like that. So as you look at thinking of things like donors talking to other donors, That's right. um, how do you envision that process maybe moving forward where what you've learned from the youth participants can kind of inform, well, we saw this gamification element work with youth, maybe two that works within the donor sphere. Yeah, absolutely. I think that applying the, I mean, there are some basics that we need to cover off, but moving away from that, the idea of having communities of donors who are all sponsoring children in Togo, Mm -hmm. who are, um, you know, all... um, Uh, funding education for girls and looking to understand more broadly what's going on in that space, Um, uh, understanding um, whatever the the particular uh, flavor of that community is, bringing donors together where there is a commonality and allowing them to enrich Um, each other's experience as well as to guide us in supporting them um, at a deeper level in terms of what it is they're looking for um, to become more engaged and um, more supportive of our cause (laughs) um, is definitely uh, something that we're considering um, moving forward as we think about our strategy. Um, let me ask how that works with the with the youth leaders today, with these you know, speakers bureau opportunities and whatnot. Um, when we talk about in, in cre- creating that community feeling for them, um, I, I assume that there's some kind of an individual login that they have once they've gotten permission signed and all those pieces. But it requires them to you know come to your website, your infrastructure to participate. Does that somehow share out to other places if they're not a Facebook person but they do use Instagram? Do, does that connect in, or do you ask them to report? On that sort of independently or how do you think about using other tools to outreach to amplify that community? We do work with, we have a number of partner organizations that we work with um, as a way to provide profile to the work that we're doing in the Speakers Bureau. Um, we do use Instagram uh, as a, a tool. We have ads there and we draw mm-hmm. people from Instagram. That's like a common place. Uh, it seems that uh, potential youth are and that we can share information um, and draw them into um, uh, at least to a level of interest in the work that we're doing. Um so we use a combination of sort of paid and unpaid uh, sources to um, recruit and engage people in in the work. And word of mouth is also a very powerful right. um, vehicle as you start to get engaged and start to um, really enjoy the opportunities that we provide them, both in terms of um, the, the learning that they get, the um, speaking um, experience that they get, and even practically speaking, one of the requirements 
requirements of high schools in um, in Canada is that there are certain hours that mm. students need to have in their community to um, graduate, and so they're also earning those hours, which is another benefit for um, participants. So there's um, a, a lot of outreach that we do both um, uh, with our partners and uh, using other tools. But ultimately, it is that uh, that forum that they come to and that they engage with where um, uh, where they get a lot of benefit. And, uh, and there's also the FaceTime, which um, um, is enabled through those meetings that they attend. And they attend those meetings either in person or via um, video conference. And um, as, as that technology has also advanced, right. it's really um, uh, also powerful. And through, um, um, uh, uh, through that tool, they're able to, um, to engage with each other in a way that, um, that they really enjoy and in a way that they feel safe. Um, well, I mean, you mentioned earlier the general um, challenges about some tools will come and go out of favor with different audiences. I mean, I personally don't use Facebook for anything other than work anymore for other reasons besides it's not that I don't feel safe, but I don't like what the company is doing with mm-hmm. not letting me choose how I want to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I can't just see a stream um, of people that I want to follow, including nonprofit organizations. They have to choose for me what I get to see. And that makes it less interesting. So I stopped using the tool, even though years earlier I used it a lot. Mm-hmm. With, with that coming and going thing, that, that makes it really hard for uh, a charity to kind of make plans around our engagement platform needs to be something that's you know easy for people to feel comfortable in all the time. Mm-hmm. But it is a different platform from several others that they might be participating in. Do you, did you, as you were looking at this, were you a little concerned about like, oh my gosh, it's one more thing. It's you know where Slack was supposed to kill email, it just mm-hmm. added one more place to check mm-hmm. a message to me. I mean, it never killed email. Mm-hmm. So do people come back and say, I, I'm concerned about adding a platform, or do they think I get it, I understand it, and it's comfortable here, so I'm good? Or what, what's your um, experience with that so far? I think that they see it very much as an extension of um, um, of a, a community that they are participating in mm-hmm. and really as a tool to enable that participation as opposed to um, another another place to go. So it okay. acts much more as an enabler as opposed to... Um, it's got a much more active versus passive function. Okay. Whereas I think tools like Facebook or LinkedIn are very passive in terms of yeah. their engagement of various. It's not really a community of sorts. I mean, this is really very purpose um, driven and they're going there um, acti- actively to uh, engage, uh, uh, register, um, share, gather, log, whatnot, and whatnot. I think the one thing that we're looking at as a next step that we that they're interested in is right now it's a, a web-based platform. They mm-hmm. would like it to be an application. They like apps. Oh, okay. And so they'd like it to be an app on their phone. Well, if it lives um, in Salesforce, can you customize the implementation towards one of the Salesforce apps then, or is that not something that makes sense something for that you? we're looking at okay. in terms of uh, further down the line, as well as enabling a secure messaging uh, feature. Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, for them. 
So, uh, so loads of ideas and, and I'm sure a well-funded, robust staff in the information <laughs> technology office to implement all of them. Like all not-for-profits, right? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you get all these NGOs that are... Um, overstaffed, you well, know. never a problem with ideas, right? We always like, oh, there's this thing that we could do. Um, but now you have to balance what can we do with the resources at hand for implementing? Because it's not just your team and whatever time is engaged in making arrangements, working with vendors, doing... Um, um, any kind of transitions, but also then there's that that training time that we mentioned a little while ago. That if you yeah. are going to roll out something to new users, in, in the case of Salesforce, there's uh, trailhead opportunities that are sort of pre-built elements you can customize. But somebody has to spend the time actually going through the training. Then if they're going to learn how to do a new thing, that's got to play in in addition to your own staffing resources available to roll out something like that. That's right. Um, so how do you help prioritize between all these things that really seem like they could be great ideas to build community more, but you've got to only do so much with the resources at hand? I think that anything that we do now as um, uh, as things have evolved, um, there is much more, both in our organization and I think in general, a growing partnership between the business and IT. It's no mm-hmm. longer, you know, I'll go and get, you know, my computer from IT or I'll get my, all data will be run by IT. There's much more of a uh, acknowledgement of a partnership and that business needs, um, uh, to identify what its requirements are and what its priorities are and work with IT to be able to figure out ways to enable um, based on a set of agreed upon priorities and um, really focused on where we think we're going to add the most value from an overall business perspective because one of the, you know, as much as IT uh, struggles to meet the demand, a lot of the time the business has a lot of ideas and it also needs to bring to those ideas some rigor around which ones it thinks are the the real ones to go after and prioritize and hone those down in terms of focus so that we can work together on really um, picking and choosing a couple of key areas that we want to co-invest our time and effort and and work to build out solutions together that in turn um, will help us when we get to that phase of actually learning about the tool and training the tool on the tool because it is a tool that is now built to enable a business function that we've agreed needs to be enhanced and so it's 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 a no-brainer that that the business is ready to learn and wants to learn and has been part of the entire process um so they already have a degree of familiarity with what to expect um and uh and are keen to to adopt it you mentioned a moment ago that there's sort of a, a demand from the at least the youth leader side about um, the app environments to support this work as opposed to a, a more desktop experience. Um, that middle ground of a progressive web app, uh, is that something that's been considered here where, you know, it, it really isn't necessarily a here's our Android version, here's our that's Apple right. version, but rather here's something that functions like an app, but it really is the website. That's right. Yeah, I think that we're, we'll definitely have to yeah. we'll look at that for sure. Yeah. I, I think that those things are... Um, there was a, a general rush to everybody loves an app and I want an app right. where I think what everybody loves is the app experience. That's and if right. it experiences the way that an app experiences, even though it really is a website, um, I, I think we've got an opportunity to, to bypass some of the development time and give to the users exactly what they were looking for in the first place. That's right. um, but boy, it's um, when, when you hear that, it's interesting in your job in particular to 
hear what they're looking for in an experience, not necessarily that it needs to be this specific tool. I just need that experience to work for me. And that's such an important thing in IT in general is yeah. that a lot of the time the business will come to us with a solution. <laughs> you know, sure. We would like you to do this as opposed to a business problem that yeah. we would like you to solution, which could have a variety of technology uh, options associated with it. And so if they're looking for an experience on their mobile device that, that simulates the, you know, A, B and C that they get on the website, then that's a different question than we want an app. Right. You know, because what we want an app is a whole different ball game than we want to have this type of experience. And these are the functions that we want to have on our mobile devices. And so I think that that's also um, an important thing that... Uh, uh, that we're uh, that we're working through um, yeah. uh, across the board. Well, I, we're running a little low on time, but I really want to get back to this idea of how you're building community through things like gamification. And you said that that wasn't in the first rollout. You no. you heard about it, you thought about it, or something else came up. How did that story unfold? And um, what tools did you have to kind of bring in that weren't there to start making that more possible? Um, the, the community's um, platform allowed for the gamification oh, okay. component. Um, so that was there. And I think that as we did our, I mean, I think doing that beta version that we did really allowed us to learn about the behavior of our um, constituents and what drove them. And um, we learned that uh, uh, through their feedback that they, um, uh, that they wanted to know how they were doing. And um, it mm -hmm. wasn't just that how they were doing um, uh, relative to a goal that they would set for themselves, but they wanted to know how they were doing relative to everyone else. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, all in good fun, not sure. in... in um, you know, I don't think anyone was um, <laughs> disparaging anyone. But I do think that the nature of that... Um, uh, that particular community, as we learned through that beta version, was the, the, the competitive nature of them. And so I do think that moving forward, as we start to build out more communities, I think we will look to um, iterate uh, um, the tools that we use to understand what it is that each individual community is looking for to be able to really help them to um, feel like to engage them really in, in, in more deeply in that community. And so in this case, it's, it was that uh, competitiveness um, with donors around particular um, uh, lines of um, uh, community. There may be other features that sure. are going to drive them and drive up their experience that we're going to uh, look at adding into uh, to those communities. But I do think testing and learning and then ref refining is important. I, I think, again, gets back to that idea of what is the youth experience here. And if part of the experience is, I, I don't understand how this impact is going, um, then the experience isn't as good as, oh, I get how I'm impacting in a context of how other people are doing. Because, of course, I, singular person, um, could look at, at how many hours I volunteered or number of people that attended events I spoke at or whatever, and maybe that feels good. But to give it context against an organization, you know, maybe seems like a, there's a little competition, but I think there's also a cooperative element of that uh, that, that makes you feel like, I'm contributing to an overall team goal in a meaningful way. And knowing that and seeing that is a little gamey, but it's a cooperative game. Um, it is. It's not a zero sum, I have to win no. and you have to lose, but rather we together are growing faster because we all understand the context of it. 
Um, and giving people that in something you know, as simple as a badge or whatever other kind of mm-hmm. thing they get. And I don't know how you help mm-hmm. them recognize that. Is it as simple as a badge? or is Yeah, it... there's online badges sure. that they get. Yeah. I think that stuff is remarkably powerful and underutilized. Um, the amount of time that I spend earning badges in games that don't impact the world <laughs> at all um, is a very sad thing. But <laughs> but it is a an, indi- an indicator that I think a lot of nonprofits can look at, uh, NGOs across the world, and go, if this is a part of the human experience that we want to connect in context, not only do we want to connect, but we want context around our connection. Uh, how do we together move forward? Then if this is already built in and it's a question of how do we turn it on and understand from our community which parts of that are more motivating, are more engaging, are more sensible, then it gets back to your test question. So how long do you run a test? Uh, I mean, is that something that will vary by product platform? If you're talking to donors, it might be different from if you're talking to youth speakers. I think so. I think we'll have to, I mean, we'll do some due diligence up front, obviously, mm-hmm. and working to um, uh, cultivate these communities. But I think the but nature and definition of community is that they're always evolving and that changing need, the needs are always changing. And yeah. the as the experiences start to deepen and as the community starts to to uh, gel, we will continue to iterate um, uh, our communities. I think that, um, you know, in this, and as we are with this one. Um, so I think that going in, though, to anything, assuming here it is, is the wrong approach. It always has to be here is the first Here's the first cut, and uh, and then on we go. Um, because that iterative nature and the ability to have technology tools that allow you to iterate and enrich and deepen um, those experiences is going to be critical to anything that we do um, as we start to hopefully um, uh, um, get that engagement uh, level um, to uh, to catch on and then to deepen. Good. Well, we are just about out of time, so I want to ask you, how should people learn more about Plan International, Plan International Canada, and maybe even become engaged in one of these communities? So I would say definitely um, going to plancanada.ca is a great uh, place to start. I think that um, we are also um, about to uh, relaunch a branding um, and awareness initiative. I think one of the challenges that we have is that there aren't a lot of people who are aware of our brand mm-hmm. and uh, what we do. And so I think that uh, through activities like this and through individuals going and learning more about the work that we do, um, uh, I think that they'll be excited about it. And and uh, and hopefully as we start to um, um, uh, amplify our brand through various digital and social channels, uh, people will learn more about us and um, can find ways to engage with us both as sponsors, um, as, um, as donors, as volunteers, or as members of some of our, uh, our youth communities and other communities as we continue to um, build those out through our business. Great. Uh, Melissa, I'm so grateful that you took the time to do this. Thank you very much for carving out a little here at Dreamforce. So, Melissa Tamlin, Vice President, Information Technology, Plan International Canada. Thank you. Thank you.